Today I'd like to read to you from Psalm 55. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me and I am distraught at the voice of the enemy, at the stares of the wicked, for they bring down suffering upon me and revile me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death assail me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter, far from the tempest and storm. Confuse the wicked, O Lord. Confound their speech, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl about on its walls. Malice and abuse are within it. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were raising himself against me, I could hide from him. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked with the throng to the house of God. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the grave, for evil finds lodging among them. But I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. He ransoms me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. God, who is enthroned forever, will hear them and afflict them, men who never change their ways and have no fear of God. My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. His speech is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. But you, O God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of corruption. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men will not live out half their days. But as for me, I will trust in you. Well, uh, welcome to church. Uh, have your Bibles with you. We're going to unpack that. Um, my name's Jamie. If you're joining us for the first time, uh, great to have you with us. Great uh, that you can join us here online. Uh, as we've uh, started and kind of um, opening up this short series in Psalms, uh, I hope one of the things that's really uh, struck you uh, during this series is um, what, what Keller calls the third way of approaching our feelings. Uh, a, a gospel way that the Psalms really unpack and demonstrate. Um, a, way, a third way that is different from religiosity and different from what our kind of society holds currently. So uh, the kind of more kind of traditional, historical kind of religiosity has sometimes fallen into the danger of um, kind of denying feelings, where you kind of would... Um, uh, almost 
be uh, you just kind of shut them down and try to kind of deny the, the power and the depth and the, the darkness of feelings. Uh, and some of you grew up in homes like that, where you just uh, were kind of told to, to move on or kind of distracted or, um, yeah, you weren't allowed to express in, in such ways. Uh, but our society, the, the pendulum has kind of swung and we live in a society now where um, kind of uh, expressing and discovering your feelings is in some circles seen as, as a good in, in and of itself, a good end in and of itself. Uh, and so the aim is to, to discover your feelings and express them and that somehow in, in doing so, you kind of are true to yourself. Uh, that once you discover your feelings, you, you have to express them because to do otherwise, well, that's kind of denying who you are. And the Psalms really kind of present a third option, neither kind of bowing to your feelings nor denying them. It's a, it's a third gospel approach that isn't overawed by your feelings nor underaware, but rather it says don't deny your feelings or vent them, but pray your feelings. And I, and I hope that has come through. Pray your feelings. That that. We are, um, to a very real degree, ought to um, bring our feelings before God and, and process them in His presence. To, to kind of, we have the privilege of, of processing them before the, the throne of God. Uh, in a way that is kind of f- far-fetched, like it's uh, unique to, to the Christian and Judeo-Christian kind of uh, worldview, religion, right? No other religion has this privilege, right? If you kind of explore other religions, you'll see, no, no, you don't speak to God like this. There's an incredible invitation, really one of privilege, like no one speaks to the king, no one speaks to the president like this, except their child, except their son, their, their daughter. You know, we... Jacob's uh, three now, and he, uh, you know, even just this morning was kind of losing it, right? Just, um, he, he was expressing his feelings, right? But one of the things that we're trying to teach him is, no, 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 you kind of crouch down level with him, and, and he expresses them to you, and, and we work through them together, right? He doesn't just get to throw whatever he wants, we think through this, we process this, we, we remind each other of greater, deeper truths. And this is the privilege, this is the third gospel way that the Psalms kind of invite us into, that God invites us into. Don't deny your feelings, don't vent your feelings, don't just express them, don't just be uh, under aware of them, but rather to bring them before God and to to process them with him and in his presence. And that's what the psalmist is doing right here in Psalm 55. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me and I am distraught. You hear him just processing his feelings before God. 
because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked, for they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. You know, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what's going on for David. Some kind of wonder is this when Absalom, his king, kind of betrays him? Is this when Saul kind of turns against him and tries to kill him? But the reality is we don't know. And it kind of doesn't fit any of those perfectly. But here's what we do know. That he has found himself in a situation where he is plagued and distraught by his thoughts, where he's in fear of the city that he lives in, and where he's been betrayed by his closest friends. And, and he's just saying, again and again, kind of this sorrow and suffering, that anguish is just overwhelming. You know, you read verses 4 through to 8, right? It is kind of terror upon anguish, upon fear and desperation. One after another after another, like, like the waves that just keep rolling in. Have you ever been in the surf and you kind of go to dive under a wave and as you stick your head up, you just get hit by another wave, but it's kind of just as you've kind of tried to take a breath. And so you're kind of half drowning and you come up again just as another wave hits you and just as another wave and kind of after three or four of those, you go, I, I have to take a breath sometime. But it's just like getting hit and hit and hit. And so he calls out. He calls out to the only place, to the only one that will hear him and to the only one in whom salvation can come from. Listen to my plea. Do not ignore me, not now. And here's the first thing we learn. Expect fears and expect tears. This life isn't one of rainbows. This life isn't one of sitting on a couch and comfort. That suffering comes. Trials come. Fear and anguish comes. And, and, and just because you are walking well with God is no silver bullet against suffering. There's, there's nothing in this psalm about kind of repentance, nothing in this psalm kind of asking, for, forgive me, Lord, for I have done wrong, uh, you know, Move my heart back into step with you. Nothing like that. No cry for forgiveness. Rather, there is this incredibly refreshing, realistic picture that, that sometimes, despite everything, you find yourself in situations where everything is... where For David, he is in a city that just evil is king. Everywhere he looks. And he cries out that, that tears and fears are to be expected in this life. 
And this is one of the things that, that I love about the Bible, is that it's incredibly realistic about life. It, it doesn't hold any punches. That Jesus kind of doesn't hide anything in the fine print. In fact, if anything, the Bible kind of says, if you follow me, that's Jesus. Jesus is kind of saying, as well as all through the scriptures, God's saying, if you follow me, actually, it, it may well bring more tears. It may well mean more suffering. It's not hidden in the fine print that it's kind of out there. If you follow me, it will cost you. And, and it may cost you everything. You know, our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, right now, some of them going to sleep. What is, is tomorrow the day? Is tomorrow the day that, that the Taliban knock on the door and our 14-year-old daughter is taken out? You know, this, this is the fears. This is the anguish. This is the sorrow that is just racking him and that he is bringing before the throne in prayer. Verse 4, my heart is in anguish within me. It's literally kind of the, the word that's uh, most commonly used for women's hearts in childbirth. If you remember what your heart was doing as you were giving birth, this is what his heart is doing now. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. Oh, that I had wings of a dove and would be able to fly away and rest. Such is his longing to escape, to flee, to find peace. Why? Verse 9, Lord, confuse the wicked, confound their words, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl about on its walls, malice and abuse are within it. Destructive forces are at work in the city, threats and lies never leave its streets. Everywhere he looks, evil is king. Everywhere he looks, there is danger and distress and hostility. From the marketplace to the walls, right? That is that those who are evil are kind of prowling around on the walls like a mountain lion, just waiting to devour. Walls, walls that originally meant to protect you, right? Meant to keep you safe. And now they give the vantage to those that would only consume and devour. And so his heart shakes. But it is worse still. It is not as if the evil or the enemy is at an arm's reach. See, David kind of goes more general, further away to kind of more specific and closer to home. Have a look at verse 12. 
if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide it. I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about with the worship, among the worshippers, is not just a hostile city, but it is a, a friend who has betrayed him, who has handed him over. Someone whom he has trusted and laughed with and cried with and who he has cared for. And he's kind of remembering like when we were younger and we walked in this building together. When we um, broke bread together. When we sung songs to the same God together. The late conversations we had where you trusted me and where I trusted you. If it was an enemy, that, that's one thing. I could endure it. But it was you, my companion, my friend, And the great irony, of course, the great irony, of course, is Uriah. If you don't know the story about Uriah, David has found himself on the other foot in this psalm. Uriah and David were um, uh, would, uh, companions. Uh, Uriah was part of his elite guard and they would fight together and uh, they would kind of be his personal bodyguard and David would fight amongst them and they would protect him and he would defend them. And they shared both faith and fellowship, battle and sorrow. And one day, while David was sitting in his, in his comfy chair and Uriah was off, Uriah was off risking his life for David. David beds his wife. David beds Uriah's wife. And in an attempt to try to cover it up, he has Uriah come home and he writes the death sentence and he hands it to Uriah to give to the general. And Uriah does not know that he is carrying his own execution. Betrayed by one with whom he once shared fellowship with. Betrayed by the one whom he has entrusted himself to. This is the story of, of betrayal. This is a story really as old as Cain and Abel, right? You've got Adam and Eve taking the fruit, the great famous kind of first sin fall. And what's next on the cards? Cain and Abel. Betrayal by one closest to you. 
the enemy is none other than his friend. And David's pain is all the more intense because of it. You see, to love really is is to be vulnerable. To love is, is to be vulnerable. And the more you love someone, the more pain they are able to cause. The closer that a person is, the kind of more painful the betrayal or, or the rejection or the absence of that love. Whether, whether that is through betrayal or whether that's kind of through the love being removed from something as tragic as death. That those closest to you have the most power to wound you, right? We know this. Wives, be careful with, with the words that you speak to your husband and husbands to your wives. You have the power to cut them down like no one else does. You have the power to build them up in such a way that it does not matter if anyone else stands against them. If, if they've got you in their corner, they're good. If a stranger wounds me, it is one thing. If a friend says that I am an idiot and amounts to nothing and will amount to nothing, it cuts all the deeper. But what if it was my wife or my parents or my son? The closer you are to a person, the more pain, the rejection or absence of that love comes. I wonder, I wonder whether it, it's ever kind of uh, the questions ever risen to you as to. Sorry, uh, I wonder whether it's ever struck you. Why is it that Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweats and trembles, and and, and so much so that he sweats blood. When kind of. He's so fearful of, of the death to come in a way that is totally different to kind of the early church martyrs who, who we have historical documents that they kind of stood with, with heads held high, right? Before lions, that they lifted their chins and sung as kind of the wood beneath them was being lit. How is it that that Jesus, why is it that Jesus trembles and is filled with such anguish where they, such courage? In part, in part it is because of this fact, because the closer you are to someone, the more painful the rejection when or if it comes. And in the garden, the the second person of the Trinity, the one who for all eternity has been in perfect, loving relationship with God, eternally dancing that dance of love, never broken, never severed, perfect unity. That in that garden, the second person of the Trinity stands on the cusp of that being absent, 
of that being lost, of, of rejection and the absence of that love, and he trembles at the pain and sorrow and suffering to come. Have you lost someone that you care about? Have you been betrayed by someone you love? Remember that pain. Remember that loss. Remember that hurt. How much more so he whose love had never been severed for perfect eternity But it is not just the anguish, it is not just the anguish of his thoughts that, that rack David's uh, brain and thoughts and his heart. It is not just the hostility of the city, but it is the betrayal of this dear friend. And just as with Cain and Abel, and Abel's blood calls out for vengeance, he too cries out for justice. And so kind of verse 15, he says, Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down to the realm, let them go down alive to the realm of the dead, for evil finds lodging among them. And kind of for the next kind of five, six verses, you get this um, intermitted, Salvation comes to those who trust, but for those who continue to go wayward, for those who, who continue to, to be evil and prey on the weak and the vulnerable, destruction and judgment and justice will come. And, and that is extremely unpopular in our society. A God who judges. A God who, who will bring judgment. You know, it is not uncommon to hear something like, I couldn't believe in a God who judges or condemns other people. That doesn't sound like a God of love to me. It like it, A little while ago, there was a trial of a 17-year-old boy in America called Kip Kimball. And he, at home, pulled out a gun, shot both his parents. He then went to school, shot two more, wounded 24 other people, other kids at the school. And at his trial, his sister stood up for him and pleaded with the judge, as well as others, saying that he was sick, he'd had a hard life to show mercy, show forgiveness, And the mother of one of the children who was shot stood up before the judge and she said this. She said, For him to be as tortured and troubled as we are is to me the only final justice. And at the end of the hearing, the judge slammed the hammer down and imprisoned him for 110 years. And he said, there is a price 
to be paid for every bullet. What would you call a judge who never found anyone guilty in the Australian legal system? A judge who only ever just declared people innocent. It's not a good judge. In fact, you would say that's an evil and wicked judge, right? That's corrupt. That's wrong. Of a surgeon, of a doctor that that never cuts. That he's a surgeon or a doctor that never uses the scalpel that never cuts, is condemning their patients. And just so God judges because of his goodness and it is because of his love that he cuts, that brings justice to the world and to the people that he loves and cares for. Someone once said, I, I don't know, I've tried to find who said it, but someone other, far smarter and wiser than myself said it. Uh, they said this, If there is no judge in the end, what hope is there for the world? The Stalins, the, the Hitlers, the Taliban, those who prey on young children in the night and never get caught, that in the end, if there is no judge, they get away with it. And the good news of the Bible is that God is a God who judges. And that is good news. And it's good news because it means they won't get away with it in the end. That the scales will be balanced. That justice will come. The real question is this. If, if there is no judge in the end, what hope is there for the world? But if there is a judge in the end, what hope is there for you and me? And this hope is where David turns, kind of he he ends alternating, as for me, I will trust in the Lord. I will trust you. Have it what may. Be what comes. They will do that. I will do this. If everyone leaves, still I will remain. As for me, all I control, all I can control is myself. And here's what I know. That here is where I stand and here is who my trust will be in. And whatever happens, if the city turns and the noose tightens... I will trust in you still. Still I will remain. Why? Verse 19 is so key in this. The Lord, the Lord who is enthroned from old, that he is still in charge, that God is still, he hasn't lost control. Regardless of what things look like. And so David says, I'll not throw in the towel. And we are encouraged as we pray this. Will we still trust? Will we remain? David's saying, I'll not throw in the towel. I'll not wallow in self-pity. 
I will trust in the God. Here's how you have saved in the past, and here is how you will save in the future. Here is how you have judged those who are wicked in the past. Here is how you will judge those who are wicked in the future. And so as for me, the choice is clear. I will remain with you. I will continue to trust the God who reigns over all. Perhaps, perhaps as we have been uh, looking at this psalm, you have heard David's, not just David's plea. Perhaps you've heard not just your own plea, but perhaps you have heard the plea of another, the plea of a man in the garden who cries out, O Lord, hear my voice. Turn not your face from me. Do not ignore me. A man abandoned by his friends, a man in a hostile city that seeks after his blood for him to be vulnerable for a moment that they might pounce and devour. The man Jesus whose destruction comes in the form of one who he broke bread with and laughed with, one who he shared sweet fellowship with and walked in the house of the Lord, betrayed by one of his own. One who cries out in anguish for God to hear his plea as the walls close in. And ultimately, echoing kind of Psalm 55 verse 23, let not my my will but yours be done. This psalm is so echoes Jesus' words that um, church fathers in the past have called this Psalm 55, the voice of Christ against the chief priests, the Jews, and the traitor Judas. But, But notice to the difference. Notice that while David cries out rightly and justly for justice, against those who have wrongly betrayed him. As Jesus hangs on that cross, he cries out, not for justice, but for mercy. Father, forgive them for what they do. That that unlike Abel, whose blood calls out from the ground for for vengeance, Jesus' blood calls out for forgiveness. There's no judge. In the end, what hope is there for the world? If there is a judge in the end, what hope is there for you and me? Only this man, Jesus, hanging on a tree. And so with David, whatever may, 
we too can say, As for me, I will trust in you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are not a stranger to our suffering. You are not a stranger to David's suffering nor our own. We pray that we who find ourselves so often in this life, whether now or, or in times to come, in both times of fears and times of tears, we pray that we too might be able to, to sit and, and bring our, our feelings before you and that we like David, like Jesus, might too be able to say, as for me, I trust you. Amen.